Today I've come a little bit closer to home and um, it's actually quite late in the evening when I'm recording this but I've come to Hadfield train station, a place where I catch the train to Manchester Piccadilly and Glossop and many other places really. And whilst there's only one platform here today, at one point this was a busy train station. Lots of trains, hundreds of trains would have passed through here, passing through the Woodhead railway line all the way through to Sheffield. And plenty more stories about that and some of the train journeys that happened of note uh, in coming weeks. These days, I think the most action that you really ever see at Hadfield train station is the great tits fighting in the brambles across the way from platform one. But instead of thinking about Hadfield train station in 2023, I want you to imagine what this station would have been like in 1867. Let me tell you why. I think something that I thought was really important to share with you as part of my research was once I lifted the carpet, I started to find there were lots of poets, there were lots of people writing songs and ballads and short stories and performances. In the Victorian times, it was a hive of activity of people writing and singing, I guess, their way through the Industrial Revolution. And I've managed to find a few of those which are just about, I think, to disappear. I found some copies of books, of stories, uh, even some that were, well, the only copy I could find was in Michigan. I mean, how on earth does the only copy of the remaining book happen to be all the way over in America? So I've decided that I wanted to pick one gentleman in particular, Thomas Barlow. He was the Bard of Longdendale, known as amongst his peers. He was someone who worked as a calico printer, born in Radcliffe, moved over to Dinting, later lived in Glossop. He's buried in Mottram and Longdendale Cemetery, but he was also friends with Edmund Potter, someone who he dedicated one of his books, which published all of his songs and stories and ballads and sonnets. So we have picked one of those stories, a journey which maybe many of you who've travelled on train for a day trip might have something in common. Maybe you have also been on a walk around the Longdendale Valley when it has been sunny one moment and rainy the next. I won't give too much away because for our storytelling episodes, I'm handing over to the very talented Cordelia Howard. Enjoy. A Picnic at Woodhead by Thomas Barlow, part one. We arose and sped from our chambers soon, on a wild wet morn in the month of June, so wild and so wet, so cold and so chilly, that many, I fear, would have thought we were silly, had they known that so soon we had quitted our bed, to be off on a picnic by rail to Woodhead. The wind blew high and fierce and loud. The sky was a vast unbroken cloud of cheerless gloom. So ashy pale and low, 
that it hung like a spacious veil, shrouding the hills in its ample fold, which midway into the veil unrolled, from its teeming bosom poured amain successive showers of slanting rain. Enough, you'd have said, perhaps too damp beyond measure. The spirits as were hunting for pleasure, to make them look sullen, uneasy and fretful, and as to deportment, a little forgetful. To banish all cheerfulness, wit and repartee, by spoiling our nicely arranged picnic party. But if you'd have said so, I'll just undeceive you, by saying not one that was there would believe you. Two Johns, James and Henry, George, Joshua and I were the men of our party who deigned to comply, with a mandate inviting us all to be there in spite of all weathers, rough, rainy or fair. Of the ladies, dear creatures, we only had five, two wives and three maidens, none else could contrive to grace with their presence our nice little crew. And five to the dozen is scarcely enow. We started betimes from our several homes, the 6am train that from Manchester comes. Took us all up with our luggage and rations at numerous small intermediate stations, beginning with Ardwick and ending with Hadfield. Though George came from Broscroft, adjoining to Padfield. As if we were off on a runaway marriage, scarce two rode together or in the same carriage. But glad to be in, we were scattered about, not caring to meet till we had to get out. Away to Woodhead with the speed of the wind, the rain was before us, the rain was behind. When there we were cheery enough for, of course, we had taken the morning for better, for worse. The better for worse, so off we all scampered, though some of our party were heavily hampered, with carrying provisions sufficient to ration, a very significant part of the nation. Ooh, to see how they hugged it was truly amusing, each offering his service and no one refusing. But what or how much it contained none would ask it. All seemed quite assured by the weight of the basket, or rather the hamper, a common brown square one, but certainly each of us thought it a rare one, so broad and so lengthy, so deep and capacious, large and so lovable, full and so gracious. We eyed it delightedly many times over, and never so valued a hamper before. When climbing the hill on our way to the village, oh, a rude bit of common that never knew tillage, a bright ray of sunshine, for bright rays there will come on the stormiest of day, shone to give us a welcome from out a small chasm or chink in the sky, which augured more favourable things by and by. 
At least so we took it. And, if you'll believe us, the sequel will show that it did not deceive us. On through the village we hurriedly passed, not deeming it prudent a moment to waste in useless inquiry where indigence drowses and the engine's shriek echoes through tenantless houses whose inmates had fled as fear hunger asserted her sway till one half of the place is deserted for hostel or dwelling wherein we might stay at any convenient part of the day for rest or refreshment. Thus scanning it lightly, the windows were blank and the walls so unsightly that onward we sped by the low ruined hovels where late dwelt the wielders of mattocks and shovels. A race of bold spirits, uncultured but cheery, inured to rude fare and of hardships unweary, who fled as their labour approached to completeness, to labour and live for their country's greatness. In some other place where the genius of trade had summoned her knights of the mattock and spade. The rain pouring on us in wrath held a skelter into one of those hovels we hastened for shelter. The nearest, regardless of features or form, glad to be anywhere out of the storm. "'Twas a roofless and windowless mass of decay, "'without the pretension of keeping away the wind or the weather, "'save only to yield us some five feet of wall "'that might possibly shield us, "'with the aid of umbrellas being drenched by the sleet "'from the crown of the head to the soles of the feet. "'In this wretched hut we were huddled together, "'awaiting a favourable turn in the weather.' And though our sad plight was not such as we wanted, we bore it serenely with spirits undaunted. The wind growing louder did furiously roar around the rude building, while down from the moor a rindle of water in hasty retreat ploughed the mud into channels encircling our feet. Then leapt through the doorway and into the lane, never to cumber our footsteps again. A while for a lull of the tempest we waited, and found that its fury was somewhat abated. Then, venturing forth, we were soon on our way, but little disturbed about the rest of the day. High on each side of the vale rose the moorland, whose limits divided the rich from the poorland. The waste and the cultured, the bad and the good land, are mingled with stretches of flourishing woodland. Down in the vale lay the lake, whose deep motion mocked the wild storms of the limitless ocean, and foaming with anger, erected its crest, and lashed it in bubbles of foam o'er its breast. Wild was the lowering, Look of the sky, the lake so low, and the hills so high, and dark, and steep, and bleak, and bold, the wind and the rain so fiercely cold. 
as we turned to enter a narrow vale that opens southward to Longendale, and northward runs with a stream to cross up to the edge of the distant moss. Oft had we transversed ere Longendale, yet none of our party had ever before seen or imagined so fair a place as the one which now twas our lot to trace. With blooming verdure and sounding rills hid in the breast of our native hills, nor now till advised by a son of the chase, a one of that bold and hardy race who scour the country near and far, drawn by the sounds of sylvan war. Thanks. Thanks to thee, bold son of the chase, for counselling us to seek out the place which we found, and also found within that vale, a sweetly commodious inn on the dexter side of the slanting way, as if kindly inviting us to stay. And being wet and hungry, we deemed it no sin to be out of the storm, so we entered in as wayworn travellers who obtain, with the end of their journey, the end of their pain. As weary pilgrims who seek the shrine of their patron saint for some gift divine. So we, after braving the wind and the rain, turned from the broad to the narrow lane, and found a haven of rest within. The two best rooms of the Tolmash Inn. Rooms furnished with elegance, taste and care, not over-luxurious, neither too bare. A medium observed between means and pride, neither of which is too much described. Everything needful, the wealthy to please, yet nothing to rob a poor man of his ease. Now disrobed of bonnets and shawls, hats and overcoats, gloves and falls, every encumbrance was laid aside that we might for our morning's meal provide. Suddenly, all became free and easy. The talk to was general, smart and breezy, light and sparkling, warm and hearty, justly befitting a picnic party. The hamper gave out from its deepest core Enough for a feast and a trifle more Sure, such a rich and varied store Never was packed in a hamper before Oh rich, oh rare and glorious hamper Without thee our party had sure been a dampener Live in grateful remembrance long Shrined in the poet's humble song the feast was laid, the guests were seated. Thy grace, O Burns, was then repeated. Each one standing in reverence then to honour the poet and honour the prayer for even the commonest daily food. <laughs>